0: Thank you for listening to the Silver Club Podcast. Here's your host, two-time Walker Cupper and former world amateur number one Steve Scott and men's golf coach at Yale University and golf historian Colin Sheehan.
1: Welcome to the Silver Club podcast this week before Colin and I banter back and forth. I just wanted to let you know something we're doing that's really cool. This Thursday, April 30th, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. If you follow nearly anyone in the golfing community on social media, you have probably at least heard of the Buck Club. For those not in the know, the Buck Club represents... PGA Tour player Zach Blair's mission to craft what he sees as the gold standard for what a golf course should be. Zach will join us to chat about golf course architecture, the game, as well as his vision of the Buck Club. The best part about this chit-chat with Zach Blair is, is that all the proceeds that we collect will go to the Outpost Foundation Emergency Relief Fund to help caddies across the country. We're trying to give back to this great game that we all love. So check us out on our social media site at Silver Club Golf on Twitter, and you're going to be able to register for this great event with Zach Thursday evening, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. We're also on Instagram as well, at Silver Club Golf. We're on Facebook, too. Check out our website at silverclubgs.com. We are going to get back to playing golf soon, I do hope. We're going to have some great venues in the hopper still to come this year. Our one-day event in Dallas at Trinity Forest has been pushed back to the fall. Dates will be announced very shortly. And we also have our Silver Club Championship at a wonderful venue in the heart of North Carolina. And the president... Of mid pines and pine needles, where we're going to have our Silver Club Championship is on our pod today. All right, Colin, welcome back, another Silver Club podcast episode thirty-four. How's it going?
0: Very good, very good. Uh, April is wrapping up. It's <laughs> it. Uh, Thank God, it was a, it, it, was a little, it was not a golf month. That's for sure.
1: Well, it's it's kind of good to get this month behind us. So, you know, we'll get one every day. You know, you you look at it's almost like I feel like we're in a like I'm back being a kid and we're we're going for a car ride with our parents and we don't quite know where the destination is, and it ta- it feels like it takes forever to get there.
0: Yeah, I've, I we're counting our blessings. I get you know one yeah. thing is, um, this is a stress test for how much. Uh, you know, each, each golfer really loves and misses the game. And, uh, I I think absence makes the heart grow fonder. There's anytime I talk to anybody, it's about if they're a golfer and it's the subject, it's the second subject to come up after their, how they're doing their family. And, and it's, and I, and I do believe honestly that, um, it is an it will be an emotional boost for a lot of people to be able to just be outside again and play with one other person and um I I can only I, I can I can only I can count a litany of benefits it'll it'll help bring to people's daily lives.
1: Yeah, there's no question. I, I I've been trying to get out once a week. Luckily here in North Carolina we've been able to walk and carry and really they're they're starting to try to open a few things, but uh yeah, just to be able to be out there in the in the nice weather and the the spring's been pretty nice down here for sure and I'm not sure how about the northeast has been but I know the there's a few golf courses that are being they're starting to be opened up up there. I'm I'm uh, still in connection with a lot of my fellow past uh, met section PGA pros and they're all commenting on, you know, rounds that are being played and how it's going about whether it's 15 minute increments or walking only or something what's what how about the yale course what's going on there
0: well that course isn't open yet uh connecticut is definitely a state that's open if courses can have the ability to do it um yale is just not in a position to open yet although it is benefiting from no golf it's kind of it's returning to nature um and they're doing they're they're maintaining it and it, it looks beautiful to be out there. I'm still out there all the time with my daughters.
1: It's probably in, it all these places are probably in great shape, right? I mean, they're not getting quite the play. Hopefully, they're the maintenance is somewhat where it, it, they want it to be and but uh yeah, there's not going to be a lot of divots or ball marks or anything.
0: Yeah, and it's not getting cart traffic and it, it's interesting to just appreciate the course as a walk and as a as just an open space because uh, it's pretty popular for people in the neighborhood and and I know our friends in New Jersey and Pennsylvania it, it appears that starting on May first um, every the the sort of golf courses are getting the go ahead I um I I know there's uh it's it's something that everyone's pretty excited about yeah I'm sure and. You 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 you've been kind of spoiled. Uh, you got you didn't actually have a closure, so you haven't actually. You know, I don't know. I know you haven't played as frequently as you would wish, but to, to, you haven't been exactly denied it either. I, my so.
1: competitive juices, though, like I mean, I've got to play. I play a lot within our Carolinas PGA section, and you know, this this next week here, we were supposed to. I was supposed to be in Austin right now, trying to get ready for the National Club Pro Championship or the PGA Professional Championship, as they call it, and. I still call it the club pro, but, um, but yeah, it, you know, we are bo- supposed to be at Barton Creek this week and top 20 would go on to play at Harding park in a few weeks. And that's all pushed back. And I, I've, I haven't heard any word that they're going to reschedule our side of it. Uh, you know, hopefully the PGA championship does get played, but yeah, golf is probably uh, it's smaller on the totem pole these days, but you know, one of the coolest things that we've done though, you know, through the silver club and the outpost club and you were, Uh, You were the moderator of this the other day. Uh, We're doing some really neat uh, author. We're getting some authors in who have written some great books. We had Michael Bamberger. Talk a little bit about, uh, I was on the call too, but uh, talk about, we had about 50 people and Michael Bamberger talked about his book and uh, you quizzed him. What, give us the, uh, give us the lowdown.
0: He was great. Uh, He's, he's someone I've known for a long time. Um, I told him in, during the interview, he has my, he has eternal street cred for having left his job at the Philadelphia Inquirer. I think he was about 30 years old. He and his wife were, they were married, but didn't have kids. And it was this kind of moment in time when they could do it. And he left to go to Europe to caddy on the European tour for a New England golfer named Peter Terevanen, who played at Yale. And it's the subject of to the Lynx land. And that was my first exposure to him. And I'd that book is a work of art and of participatory journalism and passion and love of Scotland. And, and include, it includes opportunities with he's w- witnessing Seve and Ian Muslim in their prime. And it, the tour was loaded with great major champions. And more recently, his book was a long kind of meditation on Tiger Woods. He's, uh, you know, he, uh, he's the dominant storyline of Michael's sort of professional golf you know, career as a golf journalist. And he's, uh, you know, he spent his time kind of searching for those little tiny data points that, you know, sort of uh, indicated that Tiger was maturing in his forties. <laughs> that's sort of what the, the book is about yeah, coming I mean, back from that arrest. Really. That's, yeah, he, he charts a sort of direct line.
1: Yeah. I thought it was interesting. I thought, I mean, his, his perspective from covering Tiger for, I guess, over 20 years now and, and being able to, you know, get there firsthand, ask him questions, see what he's, you know, his body language is like in press conferences. And, you know, to get that perspective uh, from the inside was was really cool to hear. Uh, uh, we also, the week before, two weeks before, we had uh, another author, Brett Gallus. Who authored Golf's Holy War? I think we talked about that last week a little bit. I'm actually uh, may get him on a podcast real soon, and so uh, stay tuned, all Silver Club podcast listeners out there. And
0: the thing, the thing, the thing. I yeah, the thing I want to say about Bamberger, which is interesting, is you know it's in uh, in in golf or or in in sports journalism, you you root for the subject that's your covering. If you're on the, if you're on the giants beat for football, it's much more fun when they're winning. Uh, and, you know, and the thing with about Michael and a lot of the other golf writers is they're rooting for professional, they're rooting for all the professional golfers. They want, they want them to be interesting and compelling and, and deliver a good quote and, you know, provide a good storyline. And that's the thing is like the, the, the thing you get in the book and what you get is like Michael and others and all of us, we, we want Tiger to be at his best as a player and as a person. It just makes everything makes the whole process so much more enjoyable that yes, we are allowed to separate out their personal lives from and and enjoy them compete and perform on the stage. But golf is it's, we, we, we love the personal storylines. We love to, we want them to be, we want them to just be empathetic and, and sort of worthy champions and people that you could enjoy admiring. And that's, and I, and you just can see Michael. So, so wishes to just have tiger, you know, reach the, just the sort of minimum echelon of just of good guy status, you know, and he's pulling for him and everybody is, no one wants to, no one wants to have a great player in the top 10 in the world, be, be a jerk and you know, <laughs> yeah uh, yeah yeah for players there's temple, for, right there's you know i guess you know pat reed can kind of be the wear the dark <laughs> hat or be the heel but you know yeah,
1: we don't want tiger woods to be that guy i mean look you know there's the i, I could even say that myself with the uh run-ins i run in i had with him back in the day right before he turned pro in the that u.s amateur but you know yeah it, it's uh you, you certainly want him you want your heroes. In sport, to be also your heroes outside of sport, I think. Right? You want them to be the role models for society, and not they're not always necessarily like that. I mean, of course, <laughs> I think right. of Charles Charles Barkley and his uh, advertisements he always used to do. He says, "I'm not a role model." And uh, I thought that was funny. But uh, I want to close on a non-golf topic here before we get to our podcast guest today, Kelly Miller, the president of Mid Pines and Pine Needles. Have you been watching the last dance at all, the Chicago Bulls story? Have you seen that?
0: So I'm i apologize oh you're we, you're
1: behind we, okay all we right we gave
0: up we gave up cable a month ago and now we're streaming and i don't know i haven't figured out how to watch it yet it on, I'm, a, it, so yes. I'm a knicks i'm a knicks fan so i already know how the whole kind of bulls 90s thing ends I, yeah but, but it, the stories <laughs>
1: the, the 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 footage they had like ten thousand hours of footage from back in the 90s from all the i mean even earlier on in the 80s and they talk really the whole story about and all the backstory from jordan where pippen came from dennis rodman they went at length uh, last night you know and then it's really the lead up really to their final hurrah their their final their three-peat i think it was 95 six and seven i think was was that last uh was that one last- year later was One that? year later each.
0: Yeah, six, seven, eight. Okay, sorry, It was close.
1: So it was 91, 92, 93, and then six, seven, and eight. I think those were the, the uh, the bunches. But man, it was it's it's riveting stuff. It's ESPN, and uh, you will yeah, you you'll find it out there real quick. But man, I'm glued to that thing. I know a lot of a lot of listeners out there are too. But but it just the like the greatness of of sport and and how great Michael Jordan was when he was great is, you know, was better than LeBron, better than Kobe. I mean, just like all wrapped up into one. I I, I think that's my opinion, at least.
0: I always like the, um, the story. I don't know if it's, if it's uh, an old wives tale or not, but that Davis love the third gave Michael Jordan his first set of ping irons while I, they were both I at think, Chapel Hill. I again. think that's
1: right. I think that's right.
0: And I, I will say this, like there weren't, there wasn't much that was cool about golf in the late eighties, early nineties and Fred couples, God bless him. He came along and was the first to really kind of give it a little cachet. And, you know, there was Greg Norman and a few others, but, um, Jordan was such a publicly, uh, devoted golfer in the eighties and nineties during his, during the peak of his fame that, um, you have to, I, I do remember feeling good about being a golfer because you know it, Michael Jordan loved it so much like it had to be it, it helped it gave it boosted like it boosted your your street cred
1: uh,
0: <laughs> as a golfer that Michael Jordan loved it so much so I got it I do want to give him credit for that
1: yeah no doubt yeah he's uh, I think he probably liked the or from at least what stories have told he's he liked the gambling portion of the game <laughs> maybe, maybe more than the game itself but uh, yeah really, really cool I, I certainly wouldn't get any in any money games against him. I, uh, I I couldn't afford the first hole, I don't think. But uh, look, uh, great chatting with you, Colin. Uh, really looking forward to getting to hearing this podcast here with Kelly Miller from Mid Pines, Pine Needles. Uh, I know you've had some experience with Kelly and and been to those venues. Too. What's, what's your take real quick before we get to the pod?
0: Well, you can't say that Mid Pines and Pine Needles are underrated anymore because they've they're finally getting the attention and praise that they deserve each got a nice um restoration uh effort from our friend kyle franz and uh just gorgeous gorgeous in the winter i love i love mid pines and pine needles both um they're they have just the right mix of terrain just elegant bunkering classic donald ross well-preserved terrific properties i I love, I love, I love both places. I, I, I would go there anytime and I'd play there any month of the year. That's the thing. I mean, yeah, I, I may or may not want to play in July and August, but you can go out early enough, but pretty much like, I love the spring and fall there and the winter is when it becomes dormant and link scene. So either way, that's, that's, um, that's, those are two wonderful golf courses. I, I would, I'd put them head to head against just about anything else.
1: Yeah, they're, they're great. And they're, and they're so walkable, I think. And then right in this day and age, you you need a walkable right. golf course. I I would be willing to bet if you did a poll of all the clubs in the country and the courses that are walkable versus non-walkable, I guess I guarantee if, if they're not allowing carts for sure, the, not the, the walkable golf courses, their rounds are, are much higher or will be much higher be just, you know, for that sheer fact. And you know the, the the cart thing is very very important for some clubs and but uh, I've always played my best rounds walking and my favorite rounds are walking because it's just the right pace and it's the right mixture of of everything. But uh, anyway, great chatting. Let's get to Kelly Miller right now, and he's the president of Pine Needles and Mid Pines, right in the heart of North Carolina, right next to the Great Pinehurst uh, area, North Carolina. Enjoy this Silver Club podcast, and we'll chat with you soon. our next guest on the silver club podcast mr kelly miller he's the president at pine needles and mid pines in southern pines north carolina right near pinehurst welcome kelly
2: glad to be here and uh, good to see you glad you're healthy and okay and family and everything uh, <laughs> yeah we, times.
1: They, they, they sure are and i, I hope yours are uh, as, as healthy as ours are and fortunately being in north carolina like we both are we've been fairly lucky here in this state for sure so knock on wood that that will uh that will continue now i know being a part of a a big resort like you are and and you know the family-owned resort really uh talk to us a little about about uh just what's going on at the resort now and and how people are getting out there to to be able to play some golf right
2: well the uh, golf has uh, remained open uh the whole time um it's a, it's a little bit different golf, um, meaning that uh, mostly members, uh, locals, uh, and not a lot of out-of-towners, other than if they're coming from somewhere in North Carolina, most likely, because it's all drive stuff, you know, people that are coming and driving to the area. Right. Um, The hotel operations, while not required to be shut down, uh, we, and I just ended up shutting it down. We had a you know when this all started to heat up uh, a few weeks ago, you know we were get we literally got calls one day from uh, Westchester County, New York City, and New Orleans, and people booked reservations. And I, you know, quite honestly, I, I was like, "Holy smokes, what do we do now?" And uh, I just didn't know how I could keep our people safe, so uh, I just shut the hotel down yeah. and said, "We'll uh, to wait till we can kind of figure this out." Uh, the food and beverage, uh, you know, you can open for carryout uh, or takeout. So we did that for a little while and then we kind of went back and now we're, uh, we're back up about, uh, I think four nights a week, uh, that, that we do the takeout so it was kind of a, a limited menu and stuff that uh, the members have always liked when they, uh, come here, whether it's a burger or yeah. fried chicken briskets and all that other stuff. So, uh, just trying to figure out and keep our people busy, uh, as, as much as we can. Obviously we've had to, uh, some of the people who use the, we've used a lot of PTO, the paid time off. And uh, uh, some folks have gotten laid off uh, as it relates to it, you know, with unemployment and with the federal help. yeah, It's been been helpful for them. So, uh, and really just, you know, it was kind of such a crisis at at the point trying to figure out what we're going to do and this whole, you know, the CARES Act and the PPP loan and all that type of stuff. So we've, kind of settling on all that and now really kind of looking at, you know, what do we do? What's the resort look like? What a hotel, what do we've got to do for to keep our people safe? What do we got to do to keep our, ensure that our guests are safe? So, uh, you know, cause this isn't going to, I mean, a lot of the things that are happening, even on the golf course, especially on the golf course, it's cause it's relatively safe out there. If you, you distance, um, you know, like, you know there's no rakes out on
1: uh in the bunker rub it over with your feet right (laughs) and there and and there's a lot of and there's a lot of sand uh, in the area that you live in anybody who has not been to the Pinehurst southern pines area really in the heart of north carolina is really missing out and i know they're going to they're going to flock to your place as soon as they can. But just uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the resort and the golf courses in a moment. But I just want to talk about about you and your golf career. Obviously, you've had a if anybody's been uh, you know paid attention to the golf world in the last 15, 20 years, they've they've seen your name out there a lot. And uh, incidentally, we even crossed paths uh, in that uh, 1996 U.S. Amateur in the third round. Uh, so uh, I, I was able to slip by you. Thank you very much on my way to. Facing uh, the the tiger, but uh, uh, that was uh, you. You've been a wonderful player for a long, long time. Uh, highlighted by uh, a mid-amateur championship in the Carolinas, 1996 Azalea Amateur Champion. Talk to us, you know, how you got into the game. I, I know you. Uh, you went to the University of Alabama. Talk to us about how you ended up in Alabama, and then your transition really to the Pinehurst area.
2: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to do that. Well. I... I think uh, I, I let you buy seven and six or something crazy. You were,
1: <laughs> it was a lot closer than that. <laughs>
2: you were very good, but you had a really pretty cat.
1: <laughs> yeah, there yeah, she She's distracted. She tried to distract Tiger. <laughs> uh,
2: well, uh, I'm from uh, uh, up north, a little town called Michigan City, Indiana, which is right on the border of Michigan and Indiana. And I'm uh, oh, sorry, I ended up going to a golf camp uh, down at the University of Alabama because back then they didn't really recruit nationally. Just kind of stayed in, in touch with the coach and then I uh, ended up going down there to, to, to play golf. You know, I had some options up there in the north or in the Midwest, you know. But, uh, you know, you got when I went down there and, and saw, you know, it was first of all, it was warm year round, the pretty girls, the whole deal. So I ended up going to Alabama and I uh, had a great time there at the university. Wasn't really all that great a player uh, at the university. I probably got better once I got out and started working on it a little bit. Um, but uh, met my wife, Peggy Ann, there, who's uh, the daughter of uh, uh, Warren and uh, Peggy Kirk Bell, And so uh, we ended up moving out here in uh, say either late 81, 82, sometime. And then really just kind of got immersed in, uh, in the business. Um Unfortunately, uh, Mr. Bell passed away fairly suddenly after we got here in uh, 1984, and so then I, that's when I really got immersed uh, in, into the business, and then started coming back and playing a little bit of golf in the I guess I want to say 87 to 88 time frame, and you know, kind of one thing led to another, and you know, started wanting to compete a little bit more, and and been very fortunate, you know, to I wake up uh, this little. Present time excluded, I wake up every day and uh, feel like the luckiest guy in the world to be able to do something that I really love. It doesn't feel like work, and uh, um, you know the places uh, golf has taken me and uh, and the friends that I've made have been uh, um, really unbelievable. I mean, our, our whole family. I mean, of course, it started with Mrs. Bell and her family. I mean, really, revolves obviously around golf, uh, and it's kind of neat. Our kids. Our kids all love to play the game. My son's fairly good. He went to Ole Miss and played for a year there. So, um, not really work.
1: <laughs> you imagine, yeah, the, the golfing genes are are certainly in that family. It's amazing how fate really intervenes in our life. And you you know, going to Alabama and then meeting meeting your your wife now, and 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 how that really leads you to to the the sandy area of, of the Carolinas and uh, really just a, a golf haven, if you will. Describe, really describe the Pinehurst, Southern Pines area for somebody who hasn't been.
2: Yeah. You know, I, I kind of go back to the first visit that I ever came. And for those of you that uh, have been here, you know, that drive down Midland Road, which is a, you know, kind of a, it was originally the, supposedly the original four lane road, but it's a divided by these majestic pines and it's one of the prettiest drives anywhere in the world and uh, i just remember coming and seeing the, that and then uh, having the opportunity to play golf here and uh, uh, the, the courses here and the number of courses here was stunning to me you know, I'll play, you know close to 30 golf courses within 15 square miles and all the designers here obviously a lot of you know you had uh, really uh Ross did six golf courses here. Did four. Excuse me. uh, Yeah, uh, seven golf courses right here at at Pinehurst, and then uh, Pine Needles, uh, Mid Pines, and Southern Pines. So, uh, and then of course, uh, subsequently you've had Fazio, you've had Nicholas, you've had Palmer. You know, uh, Fazio. So it's uh, a who's who of designers uh, around here, and there's and there's golf for everybody here. Meaning, you know, obviously the at the top of the food chain is, is Piners number two, which is a, uh, an unbelievable test of golf and, uh, and one of the greatest championship uh, tests in the game. Um, obviously, we feel fortunate to have our, our courses here, but yet for folks that are beginners, there's stuff uh, for all levels, all price ranges. And uh, and hats off to the folks at Piners who've done some really neat things over there. with right. uh, You know, the cradle, the deuce uh, you know, the brewery that they've done. So, uh, I'm a big fan of theirs. I hope they keep going and, uh, we, we compete a little bit, but we're more, uh, uh, together and trying to get more people to this area.
1: Yeah. I I would agree that you compete to us to an extent, but whenever I go to your resort, really, I feel there's this, Big sense of hominess there. And it's, it's not a, a big, huge, uh, place where you get lost in a way. Uh, talk a little bit about your, your game and, and maybe how your game is improved by living in the area. you you, you know, I mentioned your competitive nature and the great play that you've had over the years. You've been able to play and put your name on the board in a few pretty famous locker rooms out there in the, in the world of golf. Uh, where did you get your competitiveness from?
2: You know, uh, I guess I just picked up golf. I played, you know, played a little bit of basketball uh, back early, but then when I discovered how little I could jump and everything else, I wasn't going to go very far with that. <laughs> but I liked playing all the games and then, you know, got uh, got bit by golf. And uh, really just because you can improve, uh, you, you could get as good as you wanted to be, really. You know, you can right. uh, you work hard at it, you know, Back when in the winters uh, up there in Michigan city, it was cold and of I mean, course was closed snow. And my dad was great. He moved the cars out of the garage and all winter long, I set up this at a mat, you know, and I just hit balls. I'd come home and just hit balls into that mat. Kind of a self-taught guy. Um, I haven't had many lessons in my life. I read Ben Hogan's five modern fundamentals of golf. And that's really how I learned the game. I've had oh, I don't know, not very many lessons in my lifetime, but I've I've, list, I've been very, very fortunate and I've listened to a lot of people. Uh, obviously, starting out with Mrs. Bell, who was great on the fundamentals and simple swing and, and everything. And then, uh, of course, we've had uh, uh, my brother-in-law, Pat McGowan, being around here. Uh, we've had uh, Dr. Jim Suddy, who was here. Mm-hmm. And people that have come through, Mike Hebron. Uh, now we've got David Orr here. Jim Nelford's now teaching out of here. So there's, you know, I just kind of listen, you know, as it relates to that and uh, tried to take something away and uh, and then just, just kind of go and compete. And the, the competition for me, like when I was far more competitive, uh, you know, back in the early 90s and when I kind of got back, got back to playing, it was actually a great relief for me from work. You know, I kind of looked forward to it. Right. I, I was never a huge practicer, uh, but I practice every day. You know, I, I'd go out, I wouldn't hit, uh, my buddy Spider Miller, you know, he, yeah. he, he down there at Seminole. He'll hit two of those big green baskets a day. You know, I might hit a third of that uh, in a, in a real hard, heavy session for me, but I <laughs> it always kept me, I felt like I kept sharp, uh, with that and worked on my short game and I just kind of dinked it and kept it in front of me, you know? And, uh, um, you know, I was never, I never shot really, really low scores. I just never shot really anything horrible. So I would say it was kind of more consistent, uh, as it related to that. And then, you know, once you win something, I think the first thing I came, uh, first tournament I played, uh, when I came back, you didn't even have to qualify back then. It was a state amateur. I just entered and, right. and I ended up finishing second and I thought, well, that was kind of fun, you know? And, and so when you have a little bit of success, uh, then you kind of like, like going
1: and doing it. Surely uh, success breeds more success, and you you definitely had a little bit of success. I mentioned a couple of the great places you get a, a chance to play. I'll mention one of them because we had uh, the esteemed head pro slash general manager on one of our Silver Club podcasts a few episodes ago, Bob Ford. Uh, you won the – Huge Coleman invitational there back in 2001. Your name is, is in that locker room on the board. Your paint is, is solidified forever there. It, but one, one thing that. I, I read that you you there's a quote that you said that first timers learn a lot the hard way. A lot of thinking is required around Seminole. Give us an example for those who haven't been able to be able to play at Seminole. Give us an example of, of how people learn the hard way there.
2: Well, um, you know, it's a, it's a big wide place, uh, as it relates to that. So driving, you know, most driving isn't that critical. However, uh, In order to really score there, it does help if you're hitting from the proper side of the fairway. And that's what Ross – the strategy that Ross had on that golf course is really phenomenal, especially when you consider it had to be – back then they played a lot more of it on the ground versus in the air. Right. uh, What they play now. So in order – if there was a pin on the back left, you needed to be on the right side of the fairway because they were hitting it and running on. So uh, hitting – you know, it's really – uh, a second shot golf course, um, and it's the ability to control your ball and control the spin on of it, you know, spin on it, because it takes you know marginal shots and just kind of the way those greens, uh, the slope on them, you know, the contouring on it, uh, it kind of deflects away mm-hmm. shots that aren't properly struck. And then the, the other thing is really knowing, you know, kind of where to miss it, uh, and I think that's kind of what I probably when I was playing more competitive, I was. Probably having played a lot of rounds down there is, I mean, you can, I mean, as a, for instance, you can, you don't really like the short side yourself, but if the wind's into you, maybe that's not a bad play. You know, what you don't want to do is short side in the downwind. Um, so you just kind of, you got to look more, more at the wind. Uh, right. anyway. So you, you might be better off going into the back bunker because it's like on the fifth hole there you know if it's downwind you know you want to get into the back bunker because you're at least hitting back up into the wind uh coming back at you so right just kind of working your way and then you really got to stay sharp on the greens the greens have so much slope so so many contours in it uh and most people i've i believe this you know a, a lot most people way under read where their break how much break to play mm-hmm. you know and you know you can you know, you go out there and you look and you say, well, this is, you know, breaks a cup to the right. Well, in the reality, it's probably, it's probably a three foot break. you know. <laughs> the, the <pace laughs> and then you are.
1: throw 15 mile an hour wind at your back. Uh, and then you're, you're totally guessing.
2: Uh, the real, real good thing is just, just follow the old pro around. Old, old pro gets it around that golf course pretty good. Still.
1: Mr. Ford absolutely does. And uh, what are some of your, you, you mentioned Ross and that type of, golf course what what are some of your other favorite courses whether either here domestically or or internationally
2: yeah um you know I, i'm a sucker for the old course you know mm-hmm. I, I love saint andrews uh love all the quirks uh, about it i mean it's just so historical and everything else you i just kind of get creeps every time I, I i go play that golf course so um you know and over there Muirfield's fantastic. Uh, I, I'm, fortunate enough to be uh, in the RNA, and I also joined a neat old place called Presswick, which, which has some, some great uh, history there. But, you know, you got Royal County down. You know, there's so much great golf over there. And in here, same thing. I mean, uh, obviously Seminole, Pine Valley. I think Pine Valley is still probably the 18 greatest holes in the game of golf. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just no weakness uh, <laughs> that's there. I uh, love National Golf Links. Marion's fantastic. LACC, uh, obviously I mentioned Wingfoot, but I mean, there's so many great golf courses and then the really neat thing about, you know, the amateur, uh, golfer, I, what I call the cocktail tour and I've been fortunate enough to, to have played in a, a number of them is the, the golf courses uh, that we've been able to play are unbelievable. And, uh, I feel very, very fortunate. Well,
1: it's a, it's a fun it's a fun little circuit to be able to play and and the the interaction, the the fraternizing with your with your fellow players from all across the country, I think is probably the that's probably one of the the, the best parts about it for sure and you you just you meet a lot of great people along the way. Uh and you you play with a lot of players that are your age or maybe younger than you or whatever. We I I've I thought a lot about this, you know, over the last 15 20 years really since we've played that 1996 U.S. Amateur, the, the mid-amateur, what, what is your take on the mid-amateur's place in the game right now? I think you, you host a, an event there at, at Pine Needles and Mid-Pines for mid-amateurs, don't yeah. you?
2: Yeah, yeah, we do. I mean, it's a, uh, you know, the mid-amateur, even now with the mid-ams, you know, the older mid-ams, you know, if you're up there in the, you know, the 45 to 50-year-old range, versus the young mid-amateurs, the 25s, and so, even some of these 30s, 30-year-old folks, the distance difference now is so huge. You, you know, back when I was growing up, of course, not quite hickory clubs, you know, but uh, certainly persimmon woods, you know, if somebody hit it by you, you know, 20 or 30 yards was a, a lot to be by you, you know? So if you remember in college, I was a 245 hitter, you know, with my driver, and at the time, you know, uh, guys like Couples and and, uh, Azinger and those guys, they were 270, 275. So, I mean, that was 20 or 30 yards by. You know, I go out there and play now and I'm longer, you know, not quite as long as I've ever been. But, you know, if I get out there and I hit it 250, 260, maybe if I hit a really good one. But then there'll be people that drive it, you know, 320, 330, (laughs) and I'm, I'm like 70 yards behind them, you know, and so that makes the game so much harder, you know, as it relates to play somebody like that. And I think that's what some of the mid-ams are experiencing now, older mid versus the younger mid-ams. But all of that's, you know, with the time, all of that becomes pretty relative because they're all hit.
1: Sure, sure, sure. Uh, let's just, let's dive in really to your golf courses here. Uh, Mid-pines and pine needles, Talk us through the, the the playability level. I think that's really the the key word that jumps out in my mind. the The golf courses that you have there are are ultimately walkable, which is even more so important in in this day and age, right? This moment. But just talk us talk to us, uh, you know, generally about about the golf courses and and how they are different or how they're similar.
2: Yeah. Okay. Sure. Thanks. Yeah. We, uh, Kyle, uh, they're both Donald Ross golf courses uh, built in. Uh, Pine, Mid pines was built in 21, and Pine Needles in uh, in 28. But uh, to me, Ross is the um, is the best architect um, to me that there that there is or was. Because um, what Ross was able to do was Ross was able to build a golf course that was fun for the average player, and yet it was challenging for the best players. I mean, anybody can build a hard golf course. You played <laughs> yeah. plenty of hard golf courses that weren't great golf courses. Correct. And too often people equate hard to great and that's not necessarily the case. And that, I think that's why, you know, uh, both pine needles and mid pines have withstood the test of time because they're, they're great fun for the average golfer. There's no death and glory shots. You get out there, you're going to find your ball. I mean, it's in the pine straw or in the pine trees or whatever, or in sand or the sandscape, but you know, you're not going to make 12 unless you hit it 12 times you know, versus having to hit over water and out of bounds and all that other stuff. Not that we don't have some out of bounds, but very, very playable uh, for everybody. It's easy to play the game. You know, you get off the greens. I mean, that's what Ross was able to do on these two properties especially. Um, You walk off the green and the tee is right there. You know, and now I grant that, you know, uh, in the old days these guys had fantastic topography and they just where they wanted to put the golf course and what, what the best piece of land was. And uh, some of the architects don't get that, but, uh, but here, uh, very playable, very fun. Uh, this young, uh, young man, Kyle France who's absolutely fantastic uh, did a great job for us uh, at mid pines uh, in 2013. And then in pine at the pine needles in 2017. And right. uh, but mid pines is really kind of a throwback to what it, Courses look like originally in Pinehurst uh, in the 20s. There's a lot more sandscape over at uh, at Mid Pines. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a lot more change in topography. There's lots of hills and some breathtaking views over there. And uh, we've raised the canopy of the trees. Wide, you know, we don't have any real rough over there. One, kind of one um, fairway cut only, which is kind of what they did uh, in, in the old days and uh, just kind of makes it fun. Uh, it's a great member course. There's lots of different loops over there, meaning if you want to play a three- or four-hole loop, get back to the clubhouse, or a seven-hole loop, or a nine-hole, whatever. So that part of it's really neat. And then when we did uh, Pine Needles in, uh, in 2017, talking to Kyle, I said, look, we want to provide a, a little bit of variety, the, uh, not exactly the same uh, as we did at Mid Pines. And I was such a great student of the game and has got so much knowledge. He said, yeah, you know, Ross had these periods of evolution. And he said that there's another period, uh, you know, that he did a little bit more grass, uh, was able to put back some features that Ross originally had, but by far, and again, you know, we've got some changes in topography, added some tees so that there's some, uh, there's several hills throughout the golf course where Ross wanted you to hit, hit it to the top. So uh adjusting the tees for the better you know for the better players to really just to make it relevant, but yet for the average player, none of that changed, you know, and then agronomically uh converting to, to uh, Bermuda grass so that we could withstand the heats of the summer and uh and that was far more playable in the uh excuse me in the fall uh in the springtime so. Uh, two really, really classic courses uh, that we feel fortunate to, to be involved with, and uh, and are in the throes of uh, trying to work on uh, one of Ross's early golf courses, um, which is uh, Southern Pines Golf Club here. So hopefully we'll be able to. Uh, work that purchase out.
1: Well that's great. That's that would uh, yeah put a be a quite a trinumvirate of golf courses there. Well I'm not gonna let you go without without talking a little bit about Peggy Kirkbell and and all the things you uh, you learned from her. Obviously she was your <laughs> she was your mother in law until she passed away in November of 2016 at the age of ninety five. I mean what a what a long fruitful life that she lived but what, what sort of things did you learn from her? What were her best attributes? I mean, what was it like to put, put us in your shoes for a moment? What was it like to hang around the, the great Peggy Kirkbell?
2: Yeah, what an amazing lady. And just to think of everything that she saw in her lifetime, you know, being born in 1921 from the, the, the Depression. And then, you know, um, you know, she was ahead of Arnie. You know, she you know, was a charter member of the LPGA and uh, flew her own plane from tournament to tournament. She loved to fly, you know, <laughs> and then uh, and then getting involved in teaching. You know, I mean, I, there's lots and lots of stories uh, about Peg, but she was uh, one of the most genuine ladies uh, I've ever met. And uh, I tell people there's people that uh, that teach for a living, and then there's others that love to teach, you know, mm-hmm. and Spell was one of those that, just loved to teach. She was always had a glove on, painted up with fingernails on it. She walked through the uh, walk through the dining room at night, just giving lessons and stuff like that. But uh, you know, I learned an awful lot from her uh, as it relates to uh, learned a lot from golf, just kind of being around her. And one of the things I learned is that a great teacher is always learning. You know, mm-hmm. she would sit down, back in the old days. We had that. National Golf Foundation here. And, and, uh, Bob Tosky would be speaking and Jim Fleck, and yeah. whoever. And there's Mrs. Bell sitting in the back of the classroom. And I was like, Hey, what are you doing back here? She goes, Oh, I'm learning. You know? So I think <laughs> greats are always, you know, trying to learn. And, uh, she became a great teacher, um, because uh, she had a passion and she, and she always wanted to help people. And I say, uh, she was a she was a great teacher, and she taught more than just golf. She taught about life, you know. She was so uh, so strong morally, and uh, everything that she did had a woman of tremendous faith. And uh, uh, like I said, there, and also a, a good sharp businesswoman. There wasn't any key business decision that I made here that she, you know she wasn't in on it and she'd be the first to say I like, say, look, we needed to buy some of this land around here. Let's go get it. And the opportunity came to buy. It. I love
1: that (laughs) Tell tell us, tell us one before you leave, tell us one, one of your favorite stories about, uh, about Ms. Bell.
2: Yeah. You know, the one I tell most about is that, uh, when I first came here, I was just started dating Peggy Ann and we came down in the springtime for spring break. And obviously I'd heard about, uh, about Mrs. Bell and that's when I had the majestic drive down Midland road. And, Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Bell every night probably you know four or five o'clock they just gather at the first tee and however many people wanted to come play they just came there might be three there might be five there might be eight and everybody just went and we played and remember we walked up on the first tee and you know took a left to go to the back tee and that's where where the guys were going to play and of course Mrs. Bell came back there and so now this is uh uh, this is probably 1981 so at the time you know peg is uh 60 or uh, 61 years old and I, you know bullet says go ahead peg for ladies first and i'm thinking well, geez what's this gal what's lady doing back here and she stepped up on that day and she had a magnificent swing and she ripped this thing out there and i, and I'm, I wasn't sure i could hit it by her you know <laughs> and i had i worked pretty hard to get it by her that first time but i was so impressed, you know, that uh, uh, w- with the fact that she was so competitive, you know, like that and, uh, and, and played a great game. And uh, I said my one, one thing I was disappointed in, she tried at age 62 to qualify for the women, for the U.S. Women's Open. And I was her caddy and uh, she 3 putted five times to miss it by a shot. So uh, I said, Peg, it was all your caddy's fault. But uh, great, great, great lady.
1: Well, that, that's great stories. And whenever you walk around the, the, the resort there and there's just all the pictures and memorabilia and you can't help but feel nostalgic about that. And, and it's just a, a great warm feeling when you walk around the, the grounds there. You, you've hosted three U.S. Women's Opens, 1996, 2002, and 2007. You've had some unbelievable champions at the, uh, at, at those events. We had Christy Kerr in 2007, Carrie Webb in 2002, and Annika Sorenstam uh, back in 1996. Is that right?
2: Yeah, that's right. And then uh, we had the uh, Senior Women's Open uh, last year with uh, Helen Alphonson won. What a great champion, great gal. And uh, so, the, yeah, it's, it, I think um, great golf courses produce, produce great winners. and We've been very fortunate to have great winners, and we'll uh, look forward to 2022 when they come back.
1: Well, we'll all look forward to to doing that. Now, just to to put a bow on this, you're you're the whole lodge, and everybody can take a look on com. It gets you into the Mid Pines uh, segment as well. What sort of things are you doing now to help facilitate the social distancing and the faster play and all that. You've, you've got a pretty cool, uh, some electric bikes uh, th- yeah. coming through now. Talk, talk to them. what, what yeah. what's that about?
2: You know, it's it's funny. Uh, we ended up, uh, I thought they were really neat. They're with um, uh, Sun Mountain. They've got a program, and we've been kind of monitoring it for the last kind of couple of years. They've made some, each year they'd advance it a little bit more, and then finally I said, Let, let's, uh, let's try some of those. So we tried eight of them and it has been an unbelievable hit. Now it's probably even more so now just because uh of the social distancing. So uh, you know, obviously you're one one person on a bike. Yeah. Uh, it's great fun. The pace of play that you can play and there was four of us uh played with Mark Loomis from uh, Fox Sports last <laughs> night here and his son and uh we played 18 holes in 2 hours, you know. Wow. So I mean you're going and uh now you won't always do that because there may be somebody in front of you, but it's, uh, it's still really fun uh, as it relates to that. You know, people can come, it's one to a cart. Um, and, and what, what's happened, and I think it's true in golf overall, I think more people are starting to walk. You know, we've always encouraged walking. Uh, we've got, uh, we've probably got a couple dozen uh, trolleys as we call them where people can just go and walk. Right. And I, and I think, you know, a lot of this, uh, this, this, distancing and a lot of the, uh, the sanitizing and all the other things they're not you know even if let's just say if we open up May 1 May fifteenth, June 1 you know because there's no you know there's no vaccination and there's no no cure for there all that stuff's going to continue on so we want to make sure that people can come here uh enjoy the place our people are safe uh, our guests are safe our members are safe so uh uh and, and I think that's what's terrific about golf and, and, and that it's a you can still walk six feet away have a conversation and uh people are ready to get out i mean we're getting you know we're getting calls now whereas before it was all cancellations and now it's like hey are you open or you know when's the hotel gonna open and everything else so it seems like it's uh it may be turning a little bit but we just want to make sure uh we're ready or want to make sure everybody's ready as it relates to going forward
1: well you've you're always ahead of the curve and and uh, everybody appreciates that and and i appreciate you for being a part of our silver club podcast today and being a part really of our of our golfing society and it certainly means a lot to me personally and everybody involved with our society so thank you kelly miller and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you and hopefully we get to tee it up sometime real soon
2: yeah you're not that far away thanks for having me you need to on down, sneak on down here and let, let's get out. I'll get you on one of those scooters. How about right. that? I,
1: I, I would love that. I Maybe do a Papa Wheelie or something. That'd be fun. Yeah. <laughs>
2: right. well, thanks again. And uh, thanks for all you're doing with the society. It's a great organization and you've done a phenomenal job.
1: Thank you. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Kelly. Okay,
2: well, we'll see you. Stay safe.
1: A big thanks once again to Kelly Miller for dropping all of the knowledge that he did and just what a great man a generous man with a golf rich history pine needles and mid pines is just a tremendous place if you haven't been please check it out right now we're gonna have our silver club championship there as i've mentioned and we're really looking forward to that in november god willing we need to get out there on that golf course and get our competitive juices flowing thank you all for listening downloading subscribing to our great silver club podcast We've had some wonderful guests. Check them all out along the line. Again, this is episode 34 that you just listened to, and we've just had a tremendous time bringing you people really involved in the fabric of this great game that we love. So until next time, everybody, stay well, stay safe, and we look forward to bring you another Silver Club
2: podcast real soon.